Greetings, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, Canadian Meets the South. As you may have already guessed, I'm a Canadian who has deep interest in the American Southern tradition. And on this podcast, I'll be reviewing books mostly on American Southerners. Although I might review some works on Northerners as well. Robert Frost, for example, the famous poet, he was named after Confederate General Robert E. Lee, but Robert Frost himself was a Northerner. So it might not always be southerners but i'll try to keep most of the podcasts here about southerners now this opening episode will be about the book i had just finished senator sam irvin the last of the founding fathers by carl e campbell I uh, listened to the book, to the audiobook. I didn't actually read it, but I finished the audiobook just yesterday. And the book, as you can guess, was about Senator Sam Irvin of North Carolina. And Senator Sam Irvin is famous for the Watergate hearings. As you know, he was uh, a chairman of the committee that was hearing the Watergate testimonials. Um, But the book is mostly not about Watergate. It's uh, about Sam Irvin's journey to Watergate his origins from as a young man and his his journey from the from as from a young man to the senator from the United States senator from North Carolina senator sam irvin well before he was senator he was he was born in the 1890s uh, obviously from North Carolina, and his grandfather's generation was from the American, uh, the, the Southern War for Independence. Uh, North Carolina was a Southern state, um, as it was a former member of the Confederate States of America. And uh, Sam Irvin was born in the 1890s. So it was, it was about 30 years after the war had ended that he was born. And this and his upbringing 
what what would you would see he he was sorry i'm losing my words he the the book goes through his upbringing about how he became a lawyer he fought in world war 1 and several men he knew had died he was um, a member of North Carolina's militia. He was a judge for uh, the North Carolina State Court. And he, he had served as a representative. His brother actually was in the House of Representatives, and then he took over when his brother died for just for less than one term before finally becoming a senator in the 1950s, in 1954, I believe. Now, Senator Sam Irvin is also famous for his uh, his defense of segregation, because um, as you know, North Carolina was one of the states that had racial segregation. Now, Sam Irvin was one of the chief authors of the Southern Manifesto, which was uh, written in response to Brown v. Board of Education in back in 1954, which said that, uh, well, it was a Supreme Court decision that declared that the segregation of schools was unconstitutional. And uh, as a, a lawyer and former judge, Sam Irvin was one of the Southern Democrats who, the, the Southern Democrats as in uh, they were a voting block in the United States Senate and a very powerful one. And him being a lawyer and former judge, they looked for his legal, uh, the, the senators, his fellow Southern senators, looked to him for, for constitutional, uh, arguments to in favor of segregation and the book that I read Sam Senator Sam Irvin last of the founding fathers goes into his political philosophy he 
always made southern he always made constitutional arguments and he um, the book would sometimes contrast him with Senator Jim Eastland of Mississippi who would say some pretty racist things openly while Senator Sam Irvin would always make the legal defense for segregation. I find that after going through the book, they didn't talk, uh, the author did not bring up the Tenth Amendment a lot because the Tenth Amendment, as you know, as some of you might know, is what Thomas Jefferson called the cornerstone of the Constitution when he wrote to George Washington in 1791 about the constitutionality of the Bank of the United States. And I would have thought that this book would have brought the Tenth Amendment up a lot more. But the, the, the use of the word states' rights was still used a lot. Uh, the book also mentions Strom Thurmond about how he was the leader. No, he was on the ticket of the states' rights Democratic Party in 1948. But it doesn't really focus on him too much, and it doesn't mention how he switches parties in 1964. Because, well, I mean, it's not going to do that. It's mainly focused on Senator Sam Irvin. And the book says, claims that uh, Senator Sam Irvin was not always consistent as some of his admirers believed him to be. Because uh, his, because he flip-flopped on Brown v. Board of Education in 1968. There were several big Supreme uh, Civil Rights Acts that had passed the Congress despite the filibustering in the Senate. It was the 1957 Civil Rights Act, the 1960 Civil Civil Rights Act, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and the 1968 Civil Rights Act. And the book claims that in 1968, he had uh, Sam Irvin had changed his philosophy substantially because he he now takes because in by 1968 he accepts Brown v Board of Education and he uses the phrase that from Plessy v Ferguson 
back in the 19th century, late 19th century, I don't remember even the date. The phrase that the Constitution is colorblind. And so the 1968 Civil Rights Act was was about housing and how and it brought up the issue of of blacks and whites living together in the same community and so Sam Irvin's constitutional argument was that he did not that he did not believe that the 1968 Civil Rights Act was constitutional because the Constitution was colorblind. Before 1968, he was always trying to make constitutional arguments about the legality of racial segregation and how it wasn't the jurisdiction of the federal government to interfere and his admirers believe that he was always consistent because he was always against the central authority i.e the federal government becoming too strong and and the states would lose their powers and he, this is true, but culturally, he was brought up as a segregationist. He believed that segregation was good for both the blacks and the whites in his state of North Carolina. And he believed that both, both blacks and whites wanted it to be like this or or believed it would be best if the races were kept separate in the in the state and then this is a, a state's rights issue but the the colorblind constitution argument it only comes from Sam Irvin in 1968 and this book explores what some may say is the paradox of how Sam Irvin could be against civil rights but be in favor of civil liberties because he was also a civil libertarian. He was strong on the Fourth Amendment and he did not like spying and he did not like um, the survey questions that were given to federal workers about their sexuality or sexual preference. And he, he would uh, be an ally of the American Civil Liberties Union later 
in his career after after the after the civil rights legislation in the the 50s and the 60s and some people including some of his southern democratic colleagues who were more in favor of the of heavy-handed government when it came to spying and surveillance actually did not appreciate this but um they and these people were considered conservatives while at this time those against spying were considered liberals and he had an alliance with the American Civil Liberties Union and other quote-unquote left-wing organizations who were against spying and surveillance and he was consistent I would say in this regard he because he still distrusted the central authority from having so much power. So people believed, so his, his admirers would say that he is consistent in his opposition to civil rights, but his protection, his, his, Yeah, protection of civil liberties. But he... Oh, sorry, I'm losing my words here. The book... The, the author didn't really... The author's a little harsh on him, I should say, when it comes to race because Sam Irvin really was a segregationist to in his heart but he didn't but but he believes in the constitution in the United States constitution and I um from Canadian's perspective, I'd say that this is a a good thing because um, we also live in a in Canada. We also live in a federation in which the central government is not supposed to have that much power, or it's not it's not supposed to intrude on on provincial jurisdiction. And if you want me, if you want my personal opinion on Sam Irvin after this, after this book, I'd say that I liked, I liked his opposition to, to centralization, but I don't like his support of the Vietnam War. I'd say that his support of the Vietnam War was, was more of a 
contradiction than his his uh, support for civil liberties and and opposition to civil rights because the the war grew the power of the federal government and i think some 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 southerners who were who were who kept chanting states rights like sam Irvin, i think they failed to see that the vietnam war was centralizing power i mean it did conscript conscript young men and it costed a lot of federal tax money but unfortunately the book didn't go over the war too much it's a uh, it only it only mentioned how sam Irvin was a war hawk on vietnam towards the latter part because most of the first half of the book was was focused on segregation and his support of segregation but i think that when it comes to opposition of to centralized power sam irvin was rock solid on both civil liberties and civil rights it's the war against the, the Vietnam War. I, I think that's the problem. So um, I know that uh, I'm not the best speaker, but if you if you like this podcast, then please look forward to the next one. I I'll try to come out with a podcast every first day of the month so please look forward to it and subscribe to the channel if you're watching on youtube thank you